Welcome to episode 51 of the A Free Spirit Life podcast. Hey everyone, I'm Shannon Kinney Do, holistic life and spiritual coach, and I am so excited to share this beautiful conversation with you today. My guest is Amy Zoe Schoenhoff. Amy is a mindfulness and meditation teacher and the founder of Mindfulness in the Heartland. She's a qualified teacher of mindfulness-based stress reduction and a trained mindful schools educator for grades K through 12. Amy has had a lifelong fascination with the human condition, especially how we meet life's challenges and foster personal resilience. Having a personal mindfulness practice for over 25 years, she has found the practices and principles of mindfulness to be the most instructive and transformative approach to embracing this experience of being human. Amy is certain of one thing. We cannot genuinely experience the joy of life without also accepting the moments of sorrow because they are two faces of the same coin. Fundamentally, we are all naturally creative, resourceful, and house the answers to our innermost needs and desires. The practices and teachings of mindfulness can bring us home to this truth time and time again. It is Amy's intention to inspire you to walk through life with a sense of reverence, fully honoring your moment-to-moment experience, to bravely lean into life's challenges, relinquishing attachments to what should be for the sake of what is, and ultimately to live more joyfully with compassion and kindness for yourself and others. Well, if that doesn't sound amazing, <laughs> and as we talk in this conversation today, mindfulness is definitely a practice. We have many opportunities in our imperfect, messy, beautiful lives to practice mindfulness. And Amy talks about her definition of mindfulness, which is similar to John Cabot zins which is the wise and affectionate present moment attention. She talks about this intentionality and the quality of our attention, our attitude, and the affection we bring to the moment. She talks about the practice of this open attitude with kindness, with friendliness, with compassion, and that those are really the qualities that we can practice infusing into the moment. And they're so critical in how we interpret and experience what's happening in the now. We talk about what mindfulness is and how to practice it in our daily lives. We touch on the topics of how to use mindfulness when healing and recovering from trauma, from life's conditionings, in family life, in all of the mess and the chaos of this past year, what we're currently experiencing as we move into 2021. I am so grateful for her time and her wisdom. And I know you're going to find this conversation to be deep, to be rich, to be something that you want to bookmark and listen to 
over and over again because we need these reminders so much these days. Life can feel heavy right now. It can feel challenging. And I know from my own perspective, as a mom to three boys and all that we've been through, there's still this tendency for me to want my life to be just so, to want it to look a certain way, to think of it in shoulds, you know, that my life should be this and should be that. And I've really been practicing my own mindfulness journey of peeling back my own layers of judgments, my own layers of expectations, my own layers of wanting my life to be perfect. And it is a practice. And we are on our own personal journeys, but we don't have to walk it alone. And so I hope that you feel connected in this episode today. I hope that you feel that we're holding space for you to journey with us on this path of mindfulness, because I know that if you're listening to these words, there's something in you that is guiding you towards a life of awakening, a life of greater awareness, a life of compassion, a life of opening your heart and quieting your mind and freeing your spirit so that you can love the life that you're living now, that you can feel what it feels like to be joyful, feel what it feels like to be courageous, feel what it feels like to be sad, to mourn, to grieve, and to celebrate the ups and the downs, the moment-to-moment experiences of being human, of living life. I also want to let you know that Amy is offering a free online introduction to mindfulness-based stress reduction. This will be January 11th, 2021. For all the details, go to afreespiritlife.com and go to episode 51 and you'll find the information on how to register for that free workshop. Let's get right into this conversation and Let me know what you think of this show. If this episode speaks to you, go to iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review. Email me, Shannon, at afreespiritlife.com and let me know how you like this episode, what resonates with you, how are you practicing mindfulness. I would love to hear from you. Enjoy the show. So hi, Amy. Welcome to the show. I'm so excited about our conversation today. Likewise. Thank you. I, um, as I hear my dog barking upstairs, this is a uh, perfect segue into the talk about mindfulness. Um, I will get into what mindfulness is and especially um, how to use mindfulness when life is loud and messy and imperfect, right? Um, Tell everybody a little bit just about you and the work that you do with mindfulness. Okay. Okay. So um, I'm the founder of Mindfulness in the Heartland. And, you know, I, I mean, I think the short answer is I provide training and education in mindfulness and mindfulness-based programs, um, specifically mindfulness-based stress reduction um, is the emphasis of my kind of professional training. But like my story of mindfulness is uh, much broader and deeper than that. Um, My journey with mindfulness actually uh, began as a young adult in my early 20s. And it was actually, um, I had a flashpoint 
in my life back when I was about seven years old that um, really was the impetus for um, discovering and learning the practices of mindfulness. When I was um, like seven years old, I had attended kind of a, a counterculture school for, um, uh, this was like back in the 70s. So, um, but I was going to kind of a counterculture school and they had a teacher come in one day early in the morning and do a guided meditation with us. And mind you, I'm seven years old, but it was like the first moment in my life when I recognized that I had some agency in terms of my ability to control where my mind went, that I actually had capacity to control this um, thinking process that I had. Um, and I remember being fascinated by that and making a kind of a mental note to myself that this was someday, this was something I was gonna come back to. And so in my early 20s, when I was attending college, um, that's, that's where the real, you know, uh, practice began for me. And, um, you know, I've been practicing for almost, almost 30 years now. And um, it's just made a fundamental shift in the trajectory of my life. Because as a young adult, I was a pretty, uh, I would say, a very messy young adult. You know, I had come through a lot of uh, childhood trauma and um, just had a lot of healing and recovery to do. And uh, mindfulness played a really critical role in that process for me. So having had my own kind of life experience with mindfulness, um, it has really been the fire for um, why I do what I do and why it's so important for me uh, to really bring these practices and principles into the world. Wow. Well, there's a lot in that that I'd love to ask you um, mm -hmm. in particular, you know, talking about being at such a, such a young age and having that impact. Um, what did you tell everybody what exactly your definition is of mindfulness and maybe even what you thought it was and, and even how it's evolved over the years to what you think of it to be now. Yeah. So I really riff off of uh, John Kabat-Zinn, who's the founder of mindfulness-based stress reduction. And, and um, so the definition I really lean into is it's wise and affectionate present moment attention. And it's just a really simple way of um, kind of consolidating kind of the foundations of, um, of mindfulness, which has to do with intentionality uh, the quality of attention that we're bringing to the moment and the attitude that we're bringing to the moment. Um, so I, that's what I land on. And I think the piece that has evolved for me the most is this idea of um, the, the affection towards the present moment. Like that is what has evolved for me most probably in the last decade of my practice. Um, so it's not just being present, you know, it's not just about being here right now, you know, attending to what we're doing, but it's doing so with a particular attitude and one that is open, kind, compassionate, um, friendly, you know, those qualities that really infuse how we meet the moment. 
um, are so critical to how we interpret as well the moment. Mm, I love that. I'm thinking about, you know, even in my own experience, as we've been with our family members way more than we ever were before COVID. And now we um, have had an opportunity to reconnect in deeper ways and have a lot of quality time together. And, and also um, you're with the people that you usually get breaks from, you know, we're with each other a lot and your spouses and their moods that, you know, we used to be able to get more <laughs> breaks from. Um, yeah. And I really see that the practice of mindfulness as you're describing it um, is so powerful. Can you just kind of give us some like thoughts on that? Like, how do you practice that in your daily life, especially when you're kind of, you know, people are getting on your nerves and you're, you know, or their attitude is maybe not what you're trying to practice. Like just overall, how do we, how can we shift a little bit in, in these challenging times that we're going through? Yeah. Well, I say perpetually to everyone I'm in proximity to that we really need to afford ourselves and each other a ton of grace right now. Like we yes. need to spread the grace thick, far and wide. Like Ugh, we so just good. need to provide a great deal of space, a spaciousness really mm. for ourselves and each other. Um, and be willing to be with the messy me messiness and the discomfort that comes along with this. Um, because I definitely have had my moments and my, my children will be happy to share with you. <laughs> oh, we call it mean mommy in our house. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Um, that there are those moments still arise. Um, and sometimes I can check it. Sometimes I can recognize, because for me, when mean mommy shows up, <laughs> it tells me I'm depleted. Yes. Like when I don't have patience for somebody else, yes. or I, even if I don't have patience for myself, that is clear signaling to me. Yes. I am depleted and it's self-care time, you know, alone time. Like for me, it's yeah. like, Oh, I haven't been alone in far too long. It's like, yes. Which is the same thing. What recharges right. us, what fills us up, what grounds us and brings us to center. So we can handle those things, those moments, right? I exactly. love the grace though, the grace, big time. Yeah, and that's a practice as well. Like we can look at that as a practice. Like, you know, these, um, those attitudes that I was talking about, like that this is when the rubber hits the road. Yes. This yes. is the whole point of why we do what we do. This is why we do formal practice. This is, this is why we try to do our best to live a, a mindful life so that in these pressure cooker moments, we have something to resource from. Yes. Right? So it's the really about being properly resourced during this time as well. So grace and resourcing. And what I mean by resourcing is that idea of filling, making sure our cup is full, you know, making sure that we're taking care of ourselves, making sure we have the internal resources to meet the moment. That's this mm. idea of like resilience, you know, that's, that's so how good. we foster resilience. I love that. It, it, for me, it sounds like, you know, I kind of always ask myself this, but um, self-love 
is a thing is a practice and it sounds like that self-care that resource you're talking about there's a connection to self-love um knowing that you are resources your depletion your energy level matters um and it has a ripple effect on the people um that you encounter and it kind of to me sounds like it's a it's a mutual relationship like the more you practice mindfulness the more you feel that need for self-love and vice versa. Well, and the more you can be aware of the need for it, you know what I mean? Yes. Like you can't, Yes. you can very easy run on empty if you're not being aware. If you don't have that, you know, conscious awareness in the present moment, how do you know when you're depleted? How, how do you learn those signs of being depleted? Like for us, the mean mommy. You know, what are your indicators? Like I, when I teach people, I'm always talking about this idea of, you know, what's happening internally or like the, you know, it's like the dashboard on your car. Like it's information to not ignore because it's telling you something, right? Yes. So, you know, our awareness is like, it helps us, it's the dashboard and it helps us to see the indicator lights that are going off in the present moment. And that is information to inform what we need in this moment, what we're reacting to in this moment. Um, it's important to not ignore that, but you can't, it's, it's hard to provide self-care if you're not even in touch with what's happening for you. Right. So, so let's talk about that a little bit because uh, the word burnout has been commonly used even more so now with what we're all going through and a lot of, you know, just overwhelm and stress and anxiety about so much change at once, you know, so much continuous change in this unknown of where we're heading into the new year. And, and really, I'm sure, as you know, through your practice that everything's temporary, right? It always is in a flux and a change, but this particular year has really shown us that it's just, you know, very unsettling. Um, so it, for those who feel like they're not really in tune or maybe kind of hear those voices of, hey, you know, you're burning out or you're, you're really snapping, mean mom's, mommy's out again, um, but maybe aren't giving themselves permission to listen or kind of in that survival mode of just got to push through it. What's a simple just tip on how to start getting in tune, how to give yourself the permission to just, if you're listening now, to slow down and, and tune in? Mm -hmm. How can we start that? Well, um, you know, there's a lot of ways that we can foster greater awareness uh, in our daily lives. So I just want to distinguish, you know, there are formal practices that we can do. And that's like meditation, you know, like there are specific activities that we can engage in formally to foster greater awareness, right? Meditation mm -hmm. practice in particular or movement practices. But there are also informal ways that we can cultivate uh, present moment awareness in our daily activities. So it can be you know, designating for yourself certain activities that you're going to use as your anchor points or touch points throughout your day to check in with yourself. So it may be that your morning cup of coffee or tea becomes the 10 minutes that you give to yourself to be present with what's going on for you. And that may mean, you know, noticing how your body feels noticing what thoughts may be present or emotions may be present. It may be 
just being with the physicality of drinking your morning cup of coffee or cup of tea, but using places for pause throughout your day as a way to just check in, to, to check the dashboard, so to say, yes. you know, that we can do um, things informally throughout our days. It's just choosing the things, the times and the activities that you're going to remember to use. So usually, you know, like picking a daily habit that you do regularly and then taking the time to really slow down and be present with that activity and using it as a touch point. I love that. One of the things uh, that I've always loved reminding my yoga and meditation students is that we always have our breath. Mm-hmm. And we take our breath wherever we go. And there really is nothing more present than than your breath. And so I love that reminder because, yeah, when me mommy's coming out, she's got to breathe, <laughs> number one, right? right? So is that a good practice for us to just, you know, as one of those touch points to pause? Is there a certain way to breathe? Is it just checking in and counting your breaths? What would you say to that? I have my opinions, but I, I think that if whatever is slowing you down and making you aware is good for you, (laughs) you know? So it doesn't need to necessarily be a particular practice. Um, Uh But for me, like the practice I do is awareness of breath. So it's simply just feeling the breath moving through the body, being with the inhalation, the pause and the exhalation and just following that cycle. You can add counting to that if, if it helps stabilize the mind. And really what that practice does is it's really a gathering practice, what we would call an anchoring practice. But you could also spend a few minutes just opening your ears and listening to sound. Because for some people, the breath isn't accessible. So sound Mm -hmm. is another kind of attentional anchor that we can use or feeling sensations in the palms of the hands or the bottoms of the feet. Those are other places that we can just anchor our awareness and attention in the moment as a way to gather. Because what these things do is they just gather the attention. They draw it in. They draw us in Mm. to a focal point. I love that. Another thing you said that when you were talking about this idea of needing a lot of grace right now and, you know, the feelings that just in general of people tend to be a little bit on edge. There's this intensity. And I know even in my own family unit, I have a tendency as a recovering perfectionist to want to fix the moment, to want to fix the problem to want everyone, you know, to fix their attitude, (laughs) right? Uh, When I'm working on mine. And so I really want to just talk about the practice of mindfulness, that it is bringing this awareness to the, the mess, to pay attention to it, but not necessarily even to fix it. Talk to me about that. So, um, life is messy, period. Life is messy. And our desires to you know, put it in a bento box and wrap a bow around it. I think that's something that Brene Brown talks about, you know, putting our lives in a bento box, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> exactly. that, that's, that's, that's a difficult place to put ourselves in psychologically because it doesn't, it's not real. Like it's just, it's not reality. Even if you go out and look in nature, nature is not perfect. There is no perfect. And I think we can put ourselves in some really painful spaces Uh, with that idea of perfection. So for me, it's about embracing 
the mess and the messiness of this life. Um, and like, and, and that goes hand in hand with grace, you know, like I'm messy, you're messy, you know, wouldn't you like to be messy too? You know? <laughs> like, let's just be messy. Let's just own oh, I love it. that. Yeah. Let's just own it. Know that it's natural. It is absolutely natural and normal. And then the question becomes, how do I skillfully navigate the mess? Yes. It becomes more about that. Not trying to fix it, make it perfect, but navigate it with a sense of skill. And that's practice. I was just going to say, that's the practice, right? I love that word, the practice. Right. And that's why we call it a practice because guess what? Ain't nobody graduating. <laughs> Nobody's graduating. Dang it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I am, I am graduated when I'm holding a cup of tea in silence, just looking at nature. I have graduated yeah. from that, right? <laughs> well, you know, yes, every victory we can get, but just know it's going to get messy again. Like, and so I have, I just wrapped up a, a class and, you know, I had a young woman in the class who, you know, I, she never necessarily said it out loud, but she, definitely had some ideas about the way, you know, she has ideas about the way life is supposed to be, which I would call perfection or shoulding, you know, we yes, should, right. time we should all over ourselves, all over our lives, all over the people we love, things should be a certain way. And that's that perfection. And when I hear that, um, to me, that is that perfectionistic voice. And, you know, at the, you know, I have people write down their goals at the beginning of my eight week class. And then I give them back to them at the end of the class. And we talk about like, so what did you actually learn? Like what, what did show up? And for her, she looked at her goals and she said, wow, okay. I wrote that. Like she could see, she could see, yeah, that didn't happen. Like it was, she could see that it was, she was trying to frame the experience before she had even had it. Okay? Mm, such a that's good way, way to put it. it should be. Right. It, it's got to look like this. But what she got out of it was realizing that that wasn't even necessary. And to me, it's like, if I could graduate you, I would, mm -hmm. because that is the lesson. Like the, the, for her, for her, I would say that is probably from what she shared within the context of class. Cause sure. there's many layers to us. But in the context of what she was being present with at the beginning of the class and the end of the class, to me, that was one of the most important things she could have gained from it, you know, mm -hmm. is that that isn't even necessary. This frame that I'm trying to create that will really destroy this experience if I latch onto it. Oh, I love that so much. You know, it reminds me, I did pull a couple of things from one of your blog posts and it, it just feels like relating to what you're saying here. You said anchored in heart-based intentions. We are more likely to take life as it comes from moment to moment because we are focused on building a strong foundation of authentic behavior that nurtures our life. From this place, we are more inclined to experience a sense of fulfillment, regardless of what our external circumstances may look like at the moment. Can you talk wow, to I me? Yeah, isn't that beautiful? I mean, I, that should be framed, honestly, when I hear that anchored in heart-based intentions. And, you know, 
building on the moment to moment. Yeah. Um, oh, please. Let's talk more about that because I do yeah. feel like in a way, that's what a lot of us have faced with all this change happening. I, you know, I kind of joke that I feel like before March 13th, you know, I, I had this trajectory of, I, you know, I knew my life was <laughs> kind of unfolding or sort of planned for the year, right? And then yeah. it was like this big game board that just got flipped over and nothing's landed. Yeah. And it's all different. It's very much apparent to me now. Um, even how I've been, you know, controlled by, you know, well, what's, what's my mom going to think? Or, you know, just basically mm-hmm. the decisions about how we might school the kids or how all these things that really just now have just happened moment to moment. Yeah. What a beautiful and freeing way to live. Yeah. Um, I'm glad help- you, I mean, like truly, truly. Like, let us, let's set ourselves free from expectation and and recognize the chains that it creates. Huge. And the chains that it creates for our kids. And um, so talk about what is heart-based intentions and how can we, with this talk of mindfulness, really pay attention to how we're shooting our life and how we can be more present to build upon the moments and allow our life to unfold. Yeah. Yeah. So intention is a really important component of mindfulness, you know, and it's really about how are we showing up and what's driving behavior moment to moment. And when you think about heart-based intentions, it can really, I mean, the, the actual word that I would, would have initially anchored in is wholesome, but wholesome for some reason gets a bad rap, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? So I'm hoping that heart-based, my hope was that heart-based would sound more accessible to people, but it's really about what's wholesome, what's good, what's um, aligned with how I say I want to be in the world and allowing not only how I say I want to be in the world, but how do I want people to feel when they're in my presence? How do I want to carry myself in this world? Because a lot of times we talk values, but we don't necessarily walk values, right? So being intentional is allowing that one, having awareness around our value system. Like what is important to me? How do I want to walk in this world? How do I want people to feel in my presence? Having awareness around that and then allowing that to drive moment-to-moment experience. So um, when I'm teaching about intentions, I, and I say this, I've said it a million times, but it's like the bumps on the sides of the road that keep you in your lane, you know? It's just about keeping you in your lane. It's not about some, I'm going to reach the 100-mile mark. It's about right here, right now. I'm going to stay in my lane. And if I can feel the bumps, if I have awareness in the present moment and I can feel myself moving into the bumps, it's a way for me to course correct. Mm-hmm. We call it, we often refer to it, you'll hear it in um, mindfulness um, circles as the compass of the heart, being guided by the compass of the heart, moment to moment. So it's not about getting out in the future and it's not about shaming ourselves when we fall outside our intention, but being able to have awareness around intention gives us something to come back to, mm-hmm. right? So knowing what is motivating us moment, the moments when we're aligned and the moments when we're not aligned, but that is how we get to our authentic self. That is how we live with authenticity is to get aligned with that 
person that we know we are and do our best to live accordingly in each moment, not in something that we aspire to be in the future, but in this moment and realizing that that's really hard to do as a human being. Yes. Like it's, it is ambitious, mm-hmm. but, and you do not need to flog yourself. That's why we need things like self-compassion to balance this out. Right. You know, and kindness and friendliness towards ourselves to balance that out. Cause we will fall short. Just know that we will yes. fall short because <laughs> we are messy. <laughs> Embrace the mess. <laughs> Uh, well, I love uh, the, one of the precepts in, in Reiki is just for today, just for today, I will not worry just for today. I will not anger. And, you know, sometimes what, in what, what I feel you're saying is just for this minute, <laughs> just yeah. for this moment, sometimes just yeah. for this breath. Yeah. Um, and they build on each other. But again, talk about freedom. When you think about, you know, we have a new year approaching and let's talk about like reflecting on the past and then preparing for the new year, but maybe not necessarily with these big lofty goals, right? With these heart-based intentions. So guide us. What, what will your practice look like when you're reflecting on this past year? I'd love to hear what have you learned so far about, yourself in this this crazy time and what will your practice look like as you're reflecting on on what you've learned so well i i have i've been reflecting on it a lot and i started off this year with the intention of balance which has been really hard to maintain this year because i've had to pivot a lot of things um, in a very short period of time so balance has been hard but even when i reflect back on like how i was setting up my year it would have been a really hard year to maintain balance anyway, because I just do too much. (laughs) I just do too much. (laughs) And so one of the things I'm looking at is um, slowing down a little bit, you know, like that I need, I have a better sense of how much I can do, you know, and that in doing what I do, um, I really have to have time, downtime. I have to have, downtime. I have to have time to cultivate my own practice and nourish myself because if I don't do that personally, it's really hard for me to um, give you something meaningful. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to just go through the motions of teaching mindfulness. I want to embody it and I want that to be part of how I impart what I do. You know what I mean? Like I can mm-hmm. do didactic teaching, but that's not going to fill you as much as being in the presence of somebody who's being authentic and full themselves and truly living the life that I'm trying to inspire people to live. Right. Right. So um, I need one of the things I'm very aware of is needing more balance and knowing as well that it's going to be hard for me because I do too much. I just Mm -hmm. do too much. So that will be the work. One of the things that I will work on and am working on. And then I think, I think the other thing I'm very aware of is one of the things I think that over time we will see as a gift of COVID is the place systematically where we have issues. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking culturally, you know, and I'm thinking about like um, within our education system, within issues of systemic racism, um, our healthcare system, like there are places 
and our division within our country. Like there are just some places where there is great vulnerability from my perspective mm -hmm. and ongoing issues that never seem to get properly addressed. Um, and so for me, the other charge that I'm feeling, so like the balance, getting that sense of balance for myself is my work with me. And then I have this other thing about how am I going to be part of bridging the gaps and strengthening places where there, I see vulnerability. For me, I see a great opportunity for uh, mindfulness and mindfulness practices to really what my heart calls towards is starting to have meaningful conversations among white people about systemic racism. Wow. Um, Huge. Because racism is not people of color. It's not their problem. It's ours. Mm -hmm. It belongs to white people. Yes. And I really feel called to be part of conversations that address it in terms of you know, whiteness as really a construct, you know, and, you know, bias and institutional racism, like, you know, just really start to have real conversations around that topic. I'm feeling very drawn to those conversations because I'm, you know, honestly, this year I have hit the 50 year mark and the whole, the entirety of my life, I have watched this back and forth about racism, whether it exists, whether it doesn't, whether it's systemic, whether it's not, and very little progress. I mean, what has been clear to me is we've not made a whole lot of progress with this. And we can't expect black people and people of color to take to fix it. It's not, it's not for them to fix. It's, you know, it's not their problem. They, mm -hmm. they, they deal with the impact of it, but it's not their problem. So, so that's my outward call. That is the outward calling. And how do I take these skills that I have as a mindfulness teacher into those conversations? Yes. Beautiful. I love that. We are being called to be more compassionate, to be more aware of what's going on in the lives of everyone because we've been really stuck in our shoulds and stuck in our bubbles and stuck in our pretending there is no mess. Right. Well, and, and just really, I mean, even in the midst of the challenges of COVID for me, I still am very aware of how blessed I am. Yes. This may be hard, but like I think about, you know, I was raised by a single mom. Like what is it like for a single mom to right. deal with what's going on? You know, what is it like for parents who live paycheck to paycheck and have to go to a physical location yeah. to do their job? Like I, my, my life is quite frankly, really blessed, regardless of how hard this feels at moments. Mm -hmm. um, and my heart goes out to the people who don't have my circumstances. Yes. Well, what I love that you brought up is this idea that we have to go within and come out. That's why I love the practice of gratitude because when we're feeling in that lower vibration, when we're feeling stuck in our challenges or stuck with their attitudes that maybe are at a lower vibration, 
gratitude, at least for a moment, helps raise us up, right? It helps us. It helps, it's another practice of mindfulness to bring you right. to this moment. Right. Yeah. Yes. And so as we practice that gratitude, you know, the hope is that it would help us see really how blessed we are. Mm-hmm. and how to do this practice inward, but also then what can you do outside of yourself? Right, right. What of your value system can you bring out into the world? Well, I'd love to talk to you more about that. When you do start doing more of that work, I just think, you know, there is this crumbling that's happening of systems right now and all this mess. And man, do we need mindfulness more than ever. Let's let's talk about that for a moment. Since you're a mom to two kids, um, what can we do as parents to teach our children the practice of mindfulness? Because as they are growing up, they're going to be growing up in a different world and, and we need them to be aligned with their hearts. We need them to be aligned with their gifts and what they're here to do. And um, how can we use this practice of mindfulness with our children? Well, I think it's, when I think about working with children, I, I really think it's about, um, you know, understanding how their brains develop, you know, so really brain-based approaches to having strategies for engagement with our children in terms of, you know, how do we get the right and left hemisphere you know, working together or the lower regions of the brain and the upper regions of the brain working together. And if we understand the functions, you know, I'm not talking about becoming neuroscientists, but, you know, understanding the basic functions and kind of understanding the development of, you know, the process that their brains go through for the first 20 years of their lives, you know, we can have kind of strategic ways of engaging with them to help them kind of cultivate that inner awareness. And and we can do this through like simple things like naming feelings, you know, or naming body sensations, you know, being able to help them start to orient towards that internal landscape, you know, and using perspective taking, you know, for example, if they see something happening to somebody else, you know, what, what might be going on for them right now, you know, trying to understand like, how might they feel? How might they, you know, how, how might they interpret what's happening for them? I mean, there's just all kinds of ways that we can, you know, start to facilitate that um, internal knowing for them. And I think it's really about, you know, the foundations, what we refer to as the triangle of awareness and, and, and mindfulness is, you know, helping them to connect to their emotional life helping them connect to the thoughts that they have and helping them to, you know, create narratives for themselves, you know, narratives about what's happening and supporting them in like understanding the physicality of their bodies, you know, that those are really, those are access points for helping to foster awareness in our children. And there's a wealth of practices that will assist us in in doing that with our kids. So I don't necessarily have any particular technique because there is, you know, there are lots of things that we can be doing, but if we think about kind of that triangle of awareness and fostering activities that support that, um, that triangle of awareness, then we can start to help them cultivate that inner world. Mm. That is so good. You know, I mentioned that I have a middle schooler now and, you know, I felt like at least as they were younger, you know, I think it was at Dan Siegel who talks about the whole brain and the brain flips the lid. And, you know, it was so helpful as you're raising kids and learning about, you know, when they get 
um, when they're fuming, like that's not the time to like try to reason with them and let, you know, let their, their lid come down. And then, um, it, but to, you know, I just don't think that was something, at least when I was growing up, that we were really taught, you know, we were taught to kind of share our feelings. And I do know I was taught to journal my feelings and that was helpful, but to have the language, like, you know, what, what anger feels like when you explode and you, you know, and that it's not a bad emotion, that it's just something that we've, you know, teaching our children how to feel. And, and I'm noticing as my children are getting older, like, um, there is this, and maybe partly it's innate and just part of their makeup too, but there is this natural tendency to be hard on themselves or those thoughts that we, we, we just kind of naturally as humans, you know, Oh, I'm so dumb or I messed up or we get embarrassed. And, and so I love what you're sharing about that triangle because it's also, I would think so helpful at a young age to, you know, I didn't learn it until my yoga training in my early twenties of, I am not my thoughts. Yeah, yeah. You mean I am not the thought that I am thinking I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not right. good at anything. Right. And, and that has to be a beautiful practice in that triangle of awareness. Well, yeah. And it's not mine. It, does, it doesn't belong to me. But um, it's, it's one of the things that I try to introduce people to when I'm teaching is that, you know, these are, these are our touch points for our experiences. And these are, these are the things that we can tap into to be aware of what's happening for ourselves. And that's, that's transferable to our children as well. So I can think of clients that I know, um, friends, people in my life, uh, myself included, you know, where we forget that, you know, humans are forgetful um, and we may get attached to the past. Maybe it's regret. You mentioned trauma, I think is huge. Things that have happened to us that we wish didn't. You know, how does how does mindfulness help move through some of those heavier, repetitive thought roads that we can really find ourselves stuck in? Is it going back to what you said, where it's that awareness of starting with the simple things, starting with your breath, starting with compassion and grace because I just think about people it's one thing to say like you are not your thoughts but to really start to think a new thought and take a new road and that's that's a hard shift to make so I will share with you um so I've had a you know I've had to do a lot of my own trauma work and and I, I like to speak to it more from that place because you know I can you know, I have a sense viscerally of what that work can, can look like. I mean, everybody's got their own journey with this stuff. Right. Um, but I used to have a lot of, I mean, that's one of the signs of uh, trauma is, um, you know, constant rumination, you know, yes. this mind that just can't let go of a, of a thought or something that's happened. And we have patterns around that. Um, so like when I'm teaching you know, I teach from a trauma informed lens. So I give people some things to work with when I'm, when we're learning the practices of mindfulness, because if you're bringing greater awareness to, you know, if you're helping people to develop greater awareness and they have trauma that hasn't been attended to, um, or they're in the process of attending to, you can really highlight, um, and bring, uh, maybe too much, it can overwhelm people, I guess is what I'm saying is. Right. And so what I teach people about is something called the window of tolerance. So 
uh, when we're practicing mindfulness, we want to be working. It doesn't mean we're not going to feel discomfort. Like mindfulness is not about, you know, happy, lovely thoughts and being happy all the time or even relax. It's about knowing what's happening moment to moment. And sometimes what we're aware of is that we're uncomfortable. Sometimes we're aware of, um, you know, pain, uh, sorrow, grief. I mean, these are, this is part of the human journey. The question is, is it within a tolerable range? Mm-hmm. Like, is it in a space where you can manage it and are not overwhelmed by it? Because yes. it's important as a human being to also be able to feel mm-hmm. discomfort. We just don't want to be overwhelmed by it. So the window of tolerance is that window where we can feel basically arousal in the nervous system that is within a safe range. If we move above or below that, so above that would be hyperarousal. That's the fight or flight response. And hypoarousal, if we move below that, that's the freeze response. And we're moving outside of what's manageable, right? And so we need to potentially modify or do things differently in our practice to support ourselves. And if we can, and so that would be things like if you're practicing and becoming overwhelmed, if your eyes are closed, opening your eyes or taking a break or um, getting some movement into your body. My whole point in kind of saying all of that is that um, a lot of times those ruminations are indications that you're outside of your range of tolerance. And so Um, What I have found very helpful to me in my own healing is when I have had those moments of just constantly ruminating over the same things. It's, you know, what's happening in my body right now? What what can I feel in my body? Because I think a lot of times those stories are keeping us locked into a safety response. You know, they're Mm -hmm. kind of a mechanism. Yes. what I have found is that there's usually something underneath them. Like the thoughts are keeping me in a different space, but if I can drop below the thought and get really into what I'm feeling in my body, then there's the potential for me to, you know, release or let go of something else that maybe those thoughts were keeping under wraps. Yes. But once again, if that's outside of this, you know, range of, manageable discomfort, then perhaps we need greater sources of support and that we should give ourselves permission to have those sources of support. But often I have found when we're stuck in thinking that ruminative, regenerative, constant loop of thought, for me, there's usually been something beneath that that's like trying to make its way. It's, it's trying to be known. Mm, That is such a beautiful way to describe that. Thank you. I know that's a helpful thing for so many of us. So um, I love I that. A lot. I mean, but I just, I think it's really important to know where your limits of discomfort are and to absolutely range, especially if you do have a trauma history. That's right. And, you know, in a moment like that, you're, we're, we're relearning how to be in tune, how to literally feel. And I would love to, there's a, kind of a visual that's been showing up for me with regard to like COVID and this year that we've had, you know, um, you could kind of, so we've all basically had this traumatic experience. I mean, COVID, you know, kind of this worldwide trauma that we've all had, we've all been hit by. 
Um, and I kind of liken it to, you know, we all set off on our journeys in 2020, you know, on our paths, kind of having a sense of where we thought we were going and we're kind of smacked in the face with, oh, but you've got to get over this mountain, <laughs> you know? So like seeing in front of us this range of mountains that has to be passed, like we have to get through this, over this range of mountains. And so where mindfulness can play a role is one, being able to see clearly, you know, the mountains and, and identify the most skillful path. And if you think about climbing a mountain, you don't just walk straight up a mountain, right? You typically do this thing called switchbacks, you know, mm -hmm. a mountain path will be a series of switchbacks. You go back and forth and that's to conserve energy, right? That is our resourcing. So it's important to be able to conserve our resources as we go through this really difficult path and making sure that we're keeping ourselves full enough to complete the journey. And then when you get to the top, when you get to the top of the mountain, to recognize, to have some awareness around the journey that you've just undertook and also what you learn along the way. You know, that mindfulness really provides us awareness to get through this pass that, that we were not prepared for. So, so mindfulness is in our pack. <laughs> we pack it with our tent and our, our journal and our, right? It's a tool. Mm -hmm. Yes, we carry it with us and yes. it helps us to see clearly, right? Yes. To find the most skillful means and then the, the path to follow and yes. the resourcing that we need to get through the process. That's really how I see what mindfulness can bring to bear on this experience that we've collectively had. I think part of this process is really grieving, you know, like that mm -hmm. there is, we need to make room to grieve, you know, whether we've experienced, you know, losses of family members and friends or, you know, opportunities that we've lost, you know, greater awareness around inequities uh, that we have and uncertainties that have ultimately always been there but have been perhaps made more apparent to us. Grief will be part of this process. And I think it's important that it is part of this process to honor that. Yes. I would love to just keep talking. I think that this is such a rich conversation and that might be a nice wrap up though for this episode. You've given us a beautiful picture of how to implement mindfulness, why it's important, how we can practically use it, you know, in so many ways in our inner life and uh, outside of us. I would love to just end by hearing what fills you up? Is there anything that you're grieving in particular about the holiday season or this year? What I'm very focused on is just deal. Like I mentioned before, you know, even though this year has been hard, I can see so many things that I'm grateful for. And even for the challenge of this year, I mean, there are just things that I would never have been aware of without having gone through all this. And I can use the challenge of this year to plant seeds for the future that will be more helpful to the world. I don't feel like, at least not yet, grieving anything in particular. Um, and I'm really looking forward to having this holiday season with my family, like mm -hmm. really enjoying my children and my husband and my home. 
you know, the fact that I have a home and also being really grateful to all the people who bring meaning to my life. Thank you so much for that. How can listeners learn about your courses and everything that you're offering? Mindfulness in the Heartland and the website is mindfulheartland.com. Wonderful. Well, I will share all of that information in the show notes with your website. I know you're on Instagram, so I'll I'll share all of that. I am grateful for you for this opportunity to to talk. I feel like this has become a reset for me. I, I love mindfulness. I practice meditation. I practice connecting. Um, But even just, I needed this. I think we all just, I've been feeling really caught in my own mess. And um, you've reminded me that I don't have to fix it and I can just, you know, pay attention and allow it. And thank you. Just thank you for your time today. It's been wonderful. Thank you very much. I appreciate this time as well. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope that these words speak to you as much as they do to me. I am grateful for my A Free Spirit Life community. I am going to be taking a little time off over the holidays. If you are not on my mailing list, go to afreespiritlife.com and make sure to sign up to receive my monthly newsletter. You will also find the show notes there. So everything that we talked about in this episode, you can find that at episode 51. And if you're not part of our private A Free Spirit Life group on Facebook, feel free to join us there as well. I wish you a beautiful day. Keep taking good care of yourself during these challenging times. Thank you for being you. I'll see you soon.